I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. Then I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue, clouds of white, the bright blessed days and dark sacred nights. Then I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, and also they're on the faces of people passing by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I see babies crying. I'll watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. Then I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Oh, then I think to myself, what a wonderful world oh yes amen Julian Bond everyone and Daniel Solberg That song appears on their second album, which we have in our Narthex. Let's pray together. With grateful hearts, O oh God, we give thanks for the gift of music, for the reminder of the world we share. May we be reminded now of the responsibility we have in it on your behalf. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. That song is particularly poignant in many ways. One of the ways is simply the fact that it's presented as a prayer. With a grateful heart, there's this th thankful spirit that just is exuded through that song and the way that Louis Armstrong sang it and the way that Julian sang it. What lurks behind that song is an interesting history. This song was written specifically for Louis Armstrong by a jazz musician by the name of John Teal. He imagined Louis Armstrong singing it because Louis Armstrong had seemed 
1967 to really personify the bridge builder between the real tensions happening in the civil rights movement between the black community and the white community. Louis Armstrong standing there performing amazing music with his trumpet, but also just the persona of that smiling, kind spirit that he portrayed so well. In 1967, ABC Records got in a contractual agreement with Louis Armstrong and got a new executive. His name was Larry Newton. When John Tule wrote this song for Louis Armstrong, together they had come up with this prayerful presentation that was a slow jazz rendition that seemed more pensive, meditative, and appropriate for the power of the words. But Larry Newton disagreed with it. He wanted to be fun and jaunty. And as the new executive of ABC Records, he began to want to throw his weight around. When Louis Armstrong was recording this in the studio, Larry Newton found out that they weren't going with his dictate, that it be jaunty and happy and fast, but it was going to be prayerful and meditative. And so he literally tried to break into the recording itself to stop what Louis Armstrong was singing. When he wasn't allowed to do that, as executive of ABC Records, he had control of all marketing rights, and he stopped the marketing in the United States. This record, as it was uh, sent to Great Britain, went immediately to number one on the charts in Great Britain. In the United States, thanks to Louis Newton's, uh, Louis Newton, uh, Larry Newton's uh, cessation of all marketing, it sold less than 200 copies in the United States. It was a horrible tension that Louis Armstrong was having to struggle with, along with a lot of other pressures he was feeling behind the scenes, and yet continued to sing this song with the assurance in its words and in his smile. What a wonderful world. For me, this stands as a great symbol for the way Luke presents the words of Jesus and the story of the gospel of good news that Jesus proclaims. What we find in the gospel of Luke is this presentation throughout, as we've moved through the Bible, of really highlighting God's wonderful world. And yet, like with Louis Armstrong's struggle with Larry Newton and all the other problems and difficulties of the civil rights era and the pressures that were put on people like Louis Armstrong. It was a wonderful and is a wonderful world with lots of problems that we need to help. I love the way in Shelley's prayer she worded, we are partners in God's creative hopes for our world. We are partners in working within and through this beautiful, wonderful world with the responsibility to move with God's hopes and dreams, to keep this being a wonderful world. The way the Gospel of Luke works is fascinating because Jesus consistently is recorded by Luke in 
the stories that he shares and the context that those stories are shared in, where there's troubling aspects that Jesus is addressing consistently, as with his parables. Two of his famous, most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan in chapter 10, is very clear there's a troubling aspect to God's wonderful world. And the hero of the story is a hated outsider. He portrays what it is that God hopes for you and me and how we help one another with compassion. And Jesus concludes that parable with these words, now you go and do likewise. This is a wonderful world, but it takes you and me in a commitment to the gospel to help keep it being a wonderful world. We are partners in God's hopes and dreams for us, not bystanders and spectators. The other famous parable in the Gospel of Luke is the parable of the loving father, or sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son. And in this really hard story that's so familiar to many of us, the way Jesus tells it is pretty hard-hitting because it gets a little painfully aware, or we become painfully aware if we listen carefully, that we're in the story. We're either the older brother or the younger brother, both of whom, as I said in Fresh Start this morning, were kind of jerks. And it's clear they weren't living up to the standards that God hopes and dreams for us. They weren't being partners at all with the world, much less with one another in the same family. And it's the loving father who tries to reconcile the differences. And in this case, unlike when Jesus says in the parable of the prodigal son, go and do likewise, in this case, in the 15th chapter, the way this story ends is it doesn't end. Because Jesus clearly leaves it dangling with this looming question, are you going to uh, reconcile? Will you go to that party for the one who's part of your family, whether you realize it or not, your brother or your sister that you don't like? Will you make this right and celebrate with the loving Father? These stories now move into our story for today, which is not so much a parable that Jesus tells, but a parable that Jesus is. In other words, Jesus in the 19th chapter of Luke is the story. Jesus is in this town of Jericho. This is the way the passage starts out in the first chapter. It's set in this very important city. And some of you have been to Jericho. It is a remarkable place. It is, first of all, the oldest city in the world that has been continuously inhabited. 10,000 years old, first started in 8,000 BC. And there's a reason it's been continuously inhabited, because it's beautiful, it's a paradise. It also is the lowest city in the world at 1,200 feet below sea level. And that that amazing setting, not far from the Dead Sea, allows the temperature there to be fairly consistent all year long with beautiful skies, gorgeous weather, incredible soil, amazing crops, fruit, vegetables, and in fact, places all over the Middle East want their produce from Jericho because it is so flavorful 
and beautiful. Jericho is a remarkable place, and as you can see from these photos, uh, it has great beauty, and it also has really cool little fruit stands that I think were probably there also in the time of Jesus and at our story. Because in this spot, in Jericho, the central location where several streets converge, there is a tree. And this is a photo of that tree. And under the tree, there's a plaque that says, this, tradition has it, this was the tree where, and what was his name? Zacchaeus climbed to see Jesus. Now, is this the tree? Well, maybe not. It's not quite old enough, but the legend goes, it's probably the daughter or the granddaughter of the tree that Zacchaeus climbed to do what? To see Jesus. This takes place in this incredible city of Jericho. And here's the way the story unfolds. There, there are little categories we've got of some wordings that we're going to move through and allow us to get the flow and the power of the story that the Gospel of Luke tells us about Jesus and the interaction he has with Zacchaeus. Now, to help us on this, some of you know the song. The song goes right along with the story. Please don't make me sing it by myself, but let's sing it together. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed way up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. Yes, I'm going to your house today. You did great. Well done. <laughs> that sounded beautiful. So the story, of course, unfolds with the, the song. The song goes right along with the scripture. And so we'll, we'll go through real quickly and get some little uh, hints as to how this, this story and the song, too, really has behind it some surprise and some power. First of all, zakal. In Hebrew, Zacchaeus, the name, comes from this Hebrew word. Zakal in Hebrew means pure and innocent. Was Zacchaeus pure and innocent? No, this is a very ironic use of this important Hebrew word. It gives us a hint that something is going on here. It's ironic, but maybe there will be a transformation that takes place in the story. Short of stature. Now, in the song, you may think that Zacchaeus is from Scotland, a wee little man. No, he's not from Scotland, and he also might not just be short of stature. Because the word elikia in Greek actually is nuanced. It has some different possibilities. This could be a double entendre in the sense that, well, he probably was short in the sense that he couldn't see over all those people. But really, this word can also mean he was a man of stunted character. Now, let's think about that. 
if he has a stunted character. It's all about me. It's all about my agenda. Would that fit with the role we know of Zacchaeus in the story? He's a mess. Eddie Campbell, ladies and gentlemen, is in the house today, and it's so good to see you, Eddie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I've been missing you. So uh, he's short of stature. Yes, that's what the word literally means, and it can mean a person of stunted character who only sees their own agenda and what they can do for themselves and no one else. The insight we get is now highlighted because we find out it's not just that Zacchaeus has a profession of a tax collector. The scripture is clear. He's very wealthy, says the scripture. He's rich, and he's not just a tax collector like Matthew, the author of the gospel of Matthew, tax collector. No, Zacchaeus is a what? Chief tax collector. Very important word. Why? Because as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus actually has enforcement powers. That is, he's got his own private little police force. So if any of us are are, uh, delinquent on our taxes, as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus can come with his little private police force and literally invade our house, which was a direct violation of Levitical law, where dignity of the individual was very important. It was paramount that people and their property be respected. You're to ask, request for the taxes. In this case, Zacchaeus had this police force that he could literally move into someone's house by force and take their stuff according to what he felt they owed. Jesus knows all this, And Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in this sycamore tree. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, according to the song, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And it sounds jaunty and joyful and fun. In fact, some of you know, you may have heard me talk about this before, my mother, on occasion, used all three of my names. David, Moncrief, Jordan, and she would use it in this context. Context. You get down off your high horse. Anybody ever have that said to you? What was she saying? I was thinking a little too much of myself, and I needed to be humbled. And she was pretty good at humbling me. You get down off your high horse. So this, this uh, intervention, in a way, of Jesus you can almost hear the tone of his voice. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you're better than everybody else? Get down. In other words, Zacchaeus gets called out and gets called down. And what's interesting is his response is not embarrassment. The way the Bible describes it, his response is gladness. Every now and then, maybe this has happened to you, you get called out, and it's actually a relief to not have to pretend anymore. You finally have to realize, okay, it's time for me to get my act together. It's kind of a relief to get some boundaries for a change. And you sense this is maybe what's going on with Zacchaeus. 
Jesus calls him down, and then this last phrase, I'm going to your house today. Now remember, Zacchaeus has his own enforcement force, his own police force, where he invaded people's houses. What is Jesus now doing? Jesus invades Zacchaeus' house. And I love the way there's this flip on the narrative. Zacchaeus is accustomed to invading other people's houses. Now Jesus invades his house. And he goes to the house, and in the house, with Zacchaeus in that space, a complete shift takes place in his spirit. And what happens now is Zacchaeus recognizes, first of all, he's supposed to fulfill Levitical law by when he's defrauded someone or stolen from somebody. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy both, you are required to not only pay back, but pay back with a 20% penalty. What does Zacchaeus say? I'm going to give four times as much, not 120%, but 400%. Not out of obligation, it turns out, but from his encounter with Jesus and the interaction that has happened through Jesus' invasion of his house and space, Zacchaeus wants to give four times more out of joy. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Joy is now a part of this experience which is consistent with the other stories that Jesus has told. In the parable of the prodigal son, there is this this whole narration of joy because of God's intervention in this wonderful world of ours. What happens now is interesting. Instead of rejoicing among the community, what does the crowd do? If you remember the scripture, the way it unfolds, they murmur and grumble. Why? Because they all know who Zacchaeus is. They know what Zacchaeus has done, and many in the crowd have had Zacchaeus invading their houses. And now it appears he's getting away with all that. And what does Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house. This man has been redeemed, and he too is a son of Abraham. In other words, there's a parallel to the parable of the prodigal son, where the father says to the older brother who denies relationship with his younger son, and the father says, your brother has come home. Let us rejoice and celebrate. Jesus says to the crowd, this guy is part of your family. This is your brother. These are your sisters, and let's move forward together. Because this is a wonderful world. This is God's gift to us. But it doesn't just happen. It requires work, sacrifice, partnership, and living out God's unconditional love with each other and those around us. Let us do it together. In the beautiful name of Jesus, amen.